0: Hey Queeros, Cammie here. Did you go to SaveYourselfBook.com and get my book? You can get it there at SaveYourselfBook.com. You know what you can get there? My book, which is called Save Yourself. It's at SaveYourselfBook.com. And you know what else? It's going to come out in March, but you could pre-order it now. Oh, please do that. Anyway, today's episode, speaking of books, is a chat with memoirist and also novelist. Graphic novelist. And also novelist Maggie Thrash, who I said please come be on the podcast because I really love her book Honor Girl so much. But we honestly talked about drawing zero amounts. Honestly, like Jordan, you're what? What is I was I doing? I was tired and also just enjoyed talking to Maggie. And I think I ended the conversation was like, anyway, thank you and good night. I don't think I asked her one question about her work. Well, who cares? There's other podcasts for that. Today, it's just a chat about identity and being cute with Maggie Thresh. Hey, if you live in Los Angeles, I'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on, I think it's November 9th, which is this Saturday. Please come to the show. Bye. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. So I always have guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? I am
1: Maggie Thrash. I'm an author, artist, and friend to animals.
0: Ooh. And I'm very honored to be here. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's totally my pleasure. I um I love your book Honor Girl so much. I've uh, recommended it to a bunch of people. You know, I'm always like trying to be sort of on the pulse of what is <laughs> queer. I can't even remember where I bought it, but um I think it was somewhere out of town and I carried it around with me. Um when was that published? Let's think. That was you 2015. Know. So a few years ago. Um,
1: yes, and there's been a sequel. I don't even know to, about this. So
0: the Here sequel is saying, even gayer I'm because... The pulse, but it's a lie.
1: <laughs> yeah, the sequel is even gayer because if the first book is about my sexual awakening at age 15, my second book is just about my total devotion to my cat, who is my best friend in the aftermath of my coming out
0: what is the second book called
1: the second book is called lost soul be at peace and um it takes place so honor girl is takes place summer I was 15 I fell in love for the first time at an all-girls summer camp in Kentucky and it you know hit me like a bolt of lightning came out of nowhere I had no hint that I might be queer um and I'd had I, I had no hint that of what love felt like either. I had no idea that love actually felt like someone was, like, punching you in the stomach over and over and over. I thought it was going to feel romantic and nice, but it felt horrible <laughs> and like I was going to die. <laughs> um, and then the, my second book, Lost Will Be a piece, is about, you know, having to come home from camp and face the real world as now a young, uh, bewildered, and deeply depressed
0: gay teen. And where did you live at the time?
1: I lived in Atlanta. And it was very like the classic Atlanta debutante situation, like very country club, Southern Wasp. Um, I was supposed to be a debutante, but my mom and I kept getting into vicious fights because I refused to shave my legs. It was like the one line I wouldn't cross. I was like, okay, I'll do this I'll be your little princess. I'll do this, like, heteronormative mating ritual, but I'm not going to shave my legs. And why would
0: it even matter? We're all wearing ball gowns. That's what I was just going to ask. Them shits come to the floor. I have been to a W-10 ball just as a guest, uh, and I know that that they are not—it's not a T-length situation. No, they go to the floor, but it
1: was, you know, for my mom, it was— it was philosophical. It was just she could not abide it. And, you know, we could not—neither comp- of us could compromise, and she yanked me out. Neither of us would negotiate, hmm. which bums me out because I'd love to say that I am, like, a Debbie Dyke, but um, my mom stole that from me, so I am not a debutante
0: lesbian. Well, you could—I mean, you could—I think you could still call yourself that. I didn't—I've never <laughs> heard that phrase, um, but I—is that a phrase? I, I just, made just made it up. You just made it up? Ah! It's a new category of gay, Debbie dykes. I Debbie just, dykes hit me up. There's got to be more of us. I just I really truly thought there must be enough for that to be a full category. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um okay, so you lived in Atlanta at the time and then talk to me about what happened next in your life. You so you said so you said legs, hair. <laughs> debutante ball. No. And then and then what happened next? It was next? it was pretty simple
1: in a way because I came away from that summer having experienced real love and um, feeling like I was solidly a lesbian and it certainly wasn't the easiest thing to be um, in you know Atlanta debutante society um, especially since I'm I'm curious you know my other Debbie dykes who might be out there I I don't hear about this much but I remember the the sort of homophobia that I mostly experienced was this, kind of abiding sense that lesbianism was like déclassé, that it was trashy. And there was this very oh. elitist flavor to it. Huh. Like, like maybe, maybe you could get away with being a gay man, like a champagne-swigging, immaculately dressed, <laughs> you know, rich gay man from Savannah or Charleston. But there was no classy Southern dyke. And the di- the iconic dyke at the time was Eileen Wernos, you know, the the oh, yeah. trailer park serial killer. And so for me, my my sort of internalized homophobia was a lot about feeling like I wasn't classy enough if I was going to have to be a lesbian.
0: That's really interesting. A lot of times when I talk, because I travel so much for work, a lot of times when I talk to people about performing in the South, they will say to me like, oh, God, you perform in the South? Like, that must be terrible. But I always say... Actually, it's like some of the best places that I perform because the folks okay. that are there are like so. Um, it's it's they a have, it's like a stronger self selected. Yeah, it's a stronger hunger. Um, also, because like there, there's a little less of like me maybe there, and so people are like super jazzed, and I tend to like crush. Versus like actually in Los Angeles or New York, people are like, eh we have heard things <laughs> in this vein, you know. Um, but that that being said, I what you just said about it being a self-selected group is true. You know, I was just in Raleigh, North Carolina, like a couple weeks ago, and I was just playing a club as opposed to I usually play theaters or rock clubs. And so, like, a comedy club has a more mixed audience, and people were, like, seemed genuinely weirded out by me. I also Mm, have had that experience. You felt that vibe? I also have had that experience in Atlanta. Like, actually, I've had great shows in Atlanta um, when they've been this thing that we're talking about, which is sort of like this, like, kind of ultra-hip selection of people that that know who I am and have bought tickets to the thing. But I've also had the experience of performing in the clubs of being like, wait, we're still here? You know, like, I just mean... Just weird, like, like, almost, um, yeah, grossed out, grossed out by mm-hmm. me, which is not, not something that not, I.
1: I wonder too if it's it's if it's not even specifically grossed out by homosexuals, but just grossed out that you're sharing. It's sort of like a could oh, you keep that's it to yourself? Because yeah, that's, that's how what I always felt like from my mother. It was just sort of like, could you just keep your mouth shut about it? <laughs>
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, that that might totally be true. Yeah, it could be that. I think it's also, I mean, maybe a little bit sort of what you're pointing out, which is that I don't know that I fit anywhere in that culture specifically. Mm. Um, you know, like, I don't know that maybe there are a lot of women there that look like me, or if they do, maybe they're not treated very nicely. You know, like, I don't think it's a... Um, Okay. It's true. A a,
1: fr- a friend of mine um, who recently started presenting in a more dyke manner, as soon as she got her haircut, she was physically threatened two times in the same week. And then a man slowly hit her with his car. Like, she's like like a slow hit. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) And she was just like, God, I just got the dyke haircut and already I'm getting people slowly running their cars
0: into me. I mean, I'm curious, you know, from especially if there are listeners to this show who still live there, if because I can tell myself in my own brain, like, actually, these are safe places. You know, queer people are everywhere. And like the folks that are at my show are so supportive. But then... (laughs) These aren't safe places. Like I've had both experiences and I'm very curious. I'd love to hear from other people like still that still live in places like that, what the vibe is for them, because I'm just coming in and out. So it's a very sort of superficial experience. Um, but you lived in Atlanta until when? I lived in
1: Atlanta. I went to Hampshire College in Massachusetts. Oh, so sure. I, you, you can. Know, I got out of Dodge.
0: <laughs> you can have your own major.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: You just, yes uh, you just decide
1: your own major. Yeah, you major like in specialness. Like, oh, you contributed yeah. your specialness to the world. Here's your diploma at Hampshire <laughs> College, <laughs> and ironically, they are shutting
0: down now. <laughs> oh, really? Yes, yeah, so they are very fl- they are flailing as an institution. But, but that's uh, in the Pioneer Valley in yes. Massachusetts, yeah, which is like where Smith is. Mount Holyoke is there, and what else is there? UMass Amherst, Amherst is there. Yeah. yeah. So it's Smith. Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like a very. That sounds like a. Um, stark difference you may have experienced going from debutante culture to hampshire college
1: (laughs) you would think so and and i was very excited about the presence of smith college which of course is you know lesbian mecca and i but as soon as i got there i found i just made a beeline for the straight white boys and all my friends became straight white boys and i just kind of I felt very comfortable around them. And to this day I think about my friends. And it's like, well, four out of five of my best friends are straight white men. Like why why is that? And I, I was realizing that when I was listening to your Jill Soloway episode and she was talking about how, you know, how dreamy it is to be really part really surrounded by queers and really surrounded by the trans community. And I was just like, Wow, why have I done this to myself?
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> but um, I you know, I've always I I think a part of my identity has always been kind of like, you know, I'm not a regular lesbian. I'm a cool lesbian. I can hang with the straight white boys and not scare them with my political correctness and like my discourses on gender theory. Um, But, you know, that's sort of a survival mechanism that maybe I can
0: afford to disperse with at this point. Well I'd like to actually talk more about that. I don't know that sure. that's a survival mechanism that I can disperse with. First I want to say I think that Jill uses they. And this is how we correct each other as queer people in I don't know that Jill used they when we spoke on that conversation. Oh, yes. No, you're but you're it's completely right, thing. Jill. So absolutely. Um, so yeah. Anyway, that's first the that's the first thing I'll say. And then the second thing I'll say is I don't I have not disposed of the I have been thinking about this a lot because I was partnered with somebody who was more masculine than I am. And then I split with that person and it has been really fascinating to see like how men treat me differently. So like I had one long side of my hair (laughs) and um, was partnered with somebody who – and also like is this person more masculine than I am? Like it's it's also like – who makes the scale? You know, like I just mean mm-hmm. this person knows, I guess, more about baseball than I do and like music. But like uh I mean I'm I'm uh more business focused than than this other person is. So it, I just mean it's mm. it's interesting to like figure out mm-hmm. which like qualities are cherry-picked. Um and also like I'm shorter, is that it? You know, and I have had a history of dating folks like on either sides of me on this masculinity scale or whatever. And it's been very fascinating to see um, how the world responds to me as I shift and also how I relate to men. Because having that relationship go away, I sort of pulled in closer a, like, one straight cis dude friend that like I when I was married hadn't I had like sort of more couple friends and then after this have had like this sort of counterbalance guy and mm-hmm. I have often wondered to myself what the fuck is going on with that like I'm just <laughs> like so I need to have my like my boyfriend? Like, I just, like, what am I doing? You know, like, but I, um, obviously, this is also, like, a lovely person, you know, who it's not just, like, a randomly chosen human that I don't like, um, but it is wild to sort of see the way that heteronormative tendencies play out in our lives. Truly. And, and you
1: know, firstly, I'd, I'd love to, like, delve into my total misgendering faux pas, which I do constantly, and I think, and I'm a cis person, um, I've, I've had a ton of sexual confusion in my life, but I've never really had gender confusion. I've always been a tomboy. And again, like sort of relating to masculinity on that level of like, I like to wrestle and I like to be, <laughs> I like to roll around in the dirt and I like to play with guns and like all these, it, there's so many things like that are codified as masculine. And most of them are just like the cool things, like being businesslike and liking sure. to roughhouse and stuff. But, um, and since I am sort of surrounded by by um, these <laughs> white boys most of the time, um, I mess up pronouns all the time. And I think a lot of cis people are terrified of doing that because they're afraid it's going to be perceived as, you know, naked aggression towards the trans experience or the non-binary experience. And I would just like to say, as someone who messes up pronouns all the time, People just politely correct you and then you try to be better and everyone moves on. I've never really had like the 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 experience that a lot of cis people just deeply fear that they are going to be ostracized and that, you know, the trans people, non-binary people are going to blacklist them for making a mistake. It doesn't happen. People just politely correct you and everyone moves on, which is what just happened. So I'm glad that we could exemplify that. Yeah. In the podcast. Absolutely.
0: I mean, also, that is how we should kind of, I mean, what you're talking about is a way that, like, gay people could also operate towards straight people and a way that, um, that, like, raci- racism could be dealt with. Like, I, I do actually agree with you that this is something that, in my experience, first of all, I'm not the person, um, actually, that's not true. Sometimes I'm the person being misgendered. Um, and I also don't. I don't. Um, I really am. I feel good if someone uses they pronouns for me. That, that that doesn't that doesn't feel like erasure to me. It feels good. I'm fine. I'm good with it. I also like she and her. Um, I will say that if somebody uses he or sir, it upsets me because I am worried about when they realize their mistake. What that will lead to, you know, and yeah. and it could be embarrassment, which I'm like, I mean, first of all, it's like, is my function here on Earth to prevent other people from being embarrassed? I guess apparently <laughs> as, you know, someone who's cultured female. Yes. Um, And then also, you know, I think there's. There really is, like, an opportunity for for violence there that I think we don't, you know, talk a lot about, like— Well, embarrassment we, is two steps from hostility. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, like, you know, the one option is, like, the flight attendant being like, uh, hello, sir. And then I look up and they're like, Sam. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and it— But um, the other one is, you know, yeah, like somebody, you know, beating the shit out of you because they don't— because they feel confused, and I think that um, that is it is uncomfortable for me. But I'm not I'm not dealing with the same things that a trans or non-binary person is dealing with. And um, but that being said, I do feel that I've had a lot of very productive conversations where I just correct people if I know there's a different thing going on. You know, if I know somebody uses different program, pronouns, I can just correct people or. Um, We can just, or if it's not pronouns, if it's like, you know, identity or whatever, some Mm -hmm. different word. I think it is something that we're actually kind of working out as a community better than is reported. Like what's reported coming within our own community is that like there's this big, um, is that cis people are angry about this. And I know trans people experience a lot of violence, but I will say, I think that. I think most cis people are actually tr- want to to do better, and that it's a minority of us who are speaking very loudly about having a problem with trans folks.
1: But it's like it's that's that's gnarly. Like for me as a cis person, I'm just like even if I sometimes, even if you can't know understand exactly what someone's going through, you can use the power of your imagination and the power of empathy and like work those muscles and be like a bodybuilder of empathy, to try and understand what other people are going through and be respectful of their pronouns, et cetera, even if it's something that you can't personally understand. And, like, straight people can relate to homosexuality, I think, better than a lot of cis people can relate to being non-binary or trans because it requires more empathy and more imagination.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know. I think maybe I have a slightly more sinister read on it, which I think it's like... a. Uh, queer person like just eking through and being like I'm not dead and then being like that being said fuck anyone with less power than me (laughs) like I just I feel like we absolutely have that tendency in our community as all marginalized communities do and I think that it's like you know my responsibility as a cis person to to be loud about about the fact that this isn't a problem because I just think that the voices that are elevated are usually the more you know it's it's the voices that have the biggest problem The voices Mm -hmm. that have the biggest problem are elevated. So then it's like as if there are two sides, which is like trans people and cis people. And it's actually like trans people – Everyone that's with trans people, and then like <laughs> tiny yes, that's true. group of m- <laughs> mad people, you know, like of the so, isolated people yeah. who don't know anyone queer, don't know anyone yeah, trans, exactly. don't know anyone. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, anyway, I want to get back to what else were we just fucking talking about? Yeah, sorry. I tend, I'm, ta- I feel like I'm, t- I hope I'm not talking like a mile a minute. I'm just so excited about this conversation. I think you're doing great. <laughs> Look at my hair. It's been parted in the middle, and I have two tiny horns. I wish you could see I this. Like I it. don't know if you can. See this on the thing but I am showing Jordan Jordan look <laughs> I look like a, I look like a demon I see it I look like a demon yeah. <laughs> um anyway that was that was a present for everyone uh that I am giving you um which is my hair so let's see the last time we left you in your life you were at Hampshire College oh I was at Using to hang out with straight boys with a bunch of dudes yes yeah <laughs>
1: Yes. And I, you know, my my sexual journey that began with Honor Girl, you know, continued. You know, when I first fell in love, it was very unpredictable. As, you know, you read in the book, or anyone who's read Honor Girl, it occurred in the middle of a lice inspection. A hot, dreamy, dykey counselor touched my head to inspect it for lice, and it was just like no touch I'd ever felt before. And the feelings that it was just I suddenly had access to this abyss of emotion that previously I hadn't been aware that I was capable of. And, you know, through as my life went on, I I always I sort of hoped it would be as simple as I'm just a lesbian. (laughs) But of course it wasn't. And I think in in general, I identify more as sexually fluid. And uh, whenever love hits me, it's always very unpredictable. Um, I don't have much of a pattern. I don't have much of a type. And that includes gender. Um, how many times have you been in love, Cameron? If you don't mind
0: saying. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm just curious. Let's see, Jordan. <laughs> can you do a quick tally? Um, I have been in love. I've been in love a lot of this. The horns are bothering me. I have to fix it. It's worse now. Perfect. Fix your horns. Um, a lot of times, actually. I mean, I will say I have too. <laughs> I don't know. It's very difficult to look back and remember feelings, I find. So, you know, I think that there's a tendency as—how old are you? I'm 34. So I'm just a little bit older than you. Actually, I'm four years older than you. Um, I find that, like, it's a little bit easier later in life to wonder— not later in life, but as, my, as I've continued. So I'm 38 now, and what's interesting about 38 is that the first 19 years of my life, I was not out and didn't know I was gay, and the most recent 19 years of my life, I did. This is my actual, like, halfway point, which is amazing. I'm, I'm like, or, like, my, my half-life or whatever. Like, half of my life has been gay. Um, and I think I've been in love, I don't know. Twelve times, something like that. Whoa, whoa! I, <laughs> what did you? I well, thought, what did you think I was going to say?
1: Okay, well, I thought I'd been in love a lot, and I've only been in
0: love six times. Oh so that's shit! Of you. Well, you got that extra <laughs> four years. You're going to have six more loves. Um, are you serious? Because I also was. Times. I also was. Uh, fully with someone for seven years. So what I'm trying to say is, look at the math on this. She is killing Oof. it. Cami Esposito brings her heart <laughs> to every interaction. Yeah, definitely. Well, wow. yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I'm a super sap. I'm like a super emotional person. I am. I am too, and like so when I, when I fall squishy. when I fall in love, ooh,
1: it's when I fall in love. It is all consuming. Can't eat can't sleep love and it's like if i'm also <laughs> if i'm in love with you you know it like if we, if I'm kissing you and making out with you, like I may say I'm not in love with you because you know I want to be cool, I want to you know protect my heart, but
0: like, are you saying? Can I'm I ask lying. A Question: Are you saying I'm not in love with you, or is it just that you're not saying I'm in love with you? Because now I'm imagining passionate kisses from somebody who's saying I am not in love with you. That is me. That's me. Like, I
1: assure you, I'm not in love with you. But don't believe me when I say that. If uh, I'm kissing you passionately, I'm so in
0: love with you. Uh, what the fuck? Are you pulling away to say that? Let me just like run through this. Yes, so it's I'm like, like you're making like out, making out making, out, making out, making out. You pull away. I'm not in love with you. Lean back in and recommence. Yes, yes. That's
1: exactly what happens. But then well, the inverse I don't even will happen that. too. <laughs> but then the inverse will happen too, where like, I'll tell someone that I'm really digging them because I admire them and we're dating and it's like, oh, I like you so much. But, you know, I just am not in a space where I can date right now. That's a lie, too, because if I am into you, my boundaries go out the window. My self-preservation goes out the window. Oh, no. We're just sucking. Fi- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really bad. <laughs> so now everyone knows. Or right. Like, since I don't have a type. Which includes gender or anything. It's like listener at home, like you could be
0: next. It wow, this is you. exciting. Yeah, this is really <laughs> exciting. This is this is exciting. Can I ask you a question that's it's very personal. When you say you don't have a type and that includes gender, have you sensed because you used the word lesbian so strongly earlier in this conversation, and um, you were talking about being, you know, 15, and you're 34, so it's like almost 20, you know, like it's 19 years, mm-hmm. whatever, um, and it's, uh, have, you, have you, since coming with this word lesbian popping in your mind, as there's a lice inspection going on, have you dated a cis dude? Yes, I have. And I would like to hear about that experience because <laughs> I I also know that there are definitely um lesbians that that's true for and I and I'm I am curious I had
1: I for a long time I described myself as a lesbian who occasionally had straight phases and I found this like <laughs> to yeah like, sort, I just, of like <laughs> yeah, sort of like Yeah sort cuz you know lesbianism is always derided as being a phase and I was uh, like yes. okay well I'm just going to subvert this and I have little straight phases and I realized, I realized at some point that I fulfilled the criteria of bisexuality or pansexuality. Like, that's what it is. But I never felt... I was always waiting to feel bisexual or pansexual. And instead, what I always felt was that I was in this insane ping-pong tournament going back and forth between lesbian and straight. Um, and I... Th- I read something recently, like I think for a lot of bisexual people, bisexuality is a state of being where they can walk into a grocery store and be attracted to a handsome man in the cereal aisle, and then an alluring woman in produce, and then like the hot non-binary cashier. And these attractions are happening one after the other, if not simultaneously. But it has
0: to be a grocery store.
1: It has to occur in a grocery store. Okay, great. Store. All right. Yes. <laughs>
0: Okay, so continuing. (laughs) Yes. But your experience is.
1: uh, Yes, I never felt that. I always felt more like I was was experiencing something else. And I read recently on like freaking Wikipedia or something that for some bisexual people, it feels less like a state of being and more like a pendulum that swings Hmm. back and forth. And, you know, this can happen for any number of reasons, pheromone changes, emotional changes, changes in brain chemistry, you know, or some unknowable factor. But um, basically that, and I was just like, oh, interesting. So that's a mode of bisexuality that is real. And I'm not on on an insane ping pong game. I'm living my life. And additionally, I'm recently realizing that Bisexuality might manifest like this for me because I think I might be demisexual, which for listeners who don't know the term, it's like you only experience sexual attraction when you're in love and you have to be in love.
0: That's and so kind of, Yeah, that's kind of what I was actually just going to say. I, I was I going to use a different term. But I was going to be like, so you're like hardcore monogamous, like is kind of what I was going to say. But I but you're right. That's a that's a more specific uh, that's more specific language. Um,
1: Yeah. And it's like if, if I'm like in love with a girl named Ricky, for instance, it's not even that I'm a lesbian. I'm basically like Ricky sexual. Like I'm just obsessed with her. I see only her. I see no value in any other kind of sexual activity. It's just like I'm all about Ricky. And (laughs) as you can imagine, it makes breakups, like, so brutal because, like, I'm not only losing my lover, I'm, like, losing my own sexuality.
0: Right. Because I'm Ricky sexual. Have you dated somebody named Ricky? No. (laughs) Honestly, great name. You know what I mean? Great name. Great name. It is a great name. It is a great name. Makes me think of my so-called life. Um, Okay, so...
1: This is yeah, when I when I first started when I dated a cis guy, I think my followers were sort of like what is happening right now. And it for me it almost felt because like Because you're the leader uh-huh. of a
0: religion, correct? <laughs> when you say <laughs> yes. followers. Yes. yes, my believers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I want to talk about that experience. So you started dating a man, a cis man, and then you were like what, posting about it on Instagram sort of a thing. Oh, yeah, because when I'm in love, I go all in. And It's so then Instagram public. People were f- responding and saying, what kinds of things? What the fuck? Yes, a lot of
1: WTFs, definitely a lot of, like, ellipses, W-U-T, like, what? Like that. Um, sure. But I, I didn't experience any hostility, you know? my My peeps were behind me. I think they were very relieved when the relationship became a train wreck and ended. They were like, yay, Maggie can be a lesbian again.
0: (laughs) So do you still, and and by the way, this is not coming with a um, judgment. This is a genuine question. Do you still identify with and use the word lesbian?
1: I don't. uh, I do. I do. Sometimes I, I, I identify so much with dykeness. I find it very empowering. I feel very seen when I'm identifying as a dyke um but if i'm being most accurate sexually fluid is Mm -hmm. how i feel but i i definitely still like
0: that word too yeah
1: yeah and i i love lesbianism so much i love it so much um this a guy but i do struggle with whether i'm allowed to use that term anymore
0: Yes, I hear you. I mean, I think it's, you know, what's complicated about it is actually what other people are bringing in. I think this is this is a this is a tough one. This is my understanding of why this is a tough one. I have no need to limit who gets to use what words. That makes no sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. I have no connection to that. I don't I have no need on that. For me, I think that a thing that is Difficult to understand is interest and um, pursuit from men, I think, is something that, as you know, when you're cultured female, you're not really taught how to deal with, right? Like, we don't really know how to say no, we don't really Mm -hmm. know how to let guys down. They're like we were talking about earlier, that's embarrassing for a man, you know, to be rejected. And the difference between embarrassment and violence. For men, is very, that's Ooh. very small. That's a very small um, scale. And that's because that's what they're taught. You know, like if you're embarrassed, fucking fight. And so yeah. I just think that a lot of times in my experience, the thing that I deal with is I have no need for anybody else to change their wording. For me, when I say lesbian, that means I am not interested in you. And I think that it is—it's like, this is not about—this is not about me versus you. This is not about lesbians. This is actually about straight men and trying to figure out how to protect ourselves, like, how, how to protect myself. I mean, I just had very recently this experience where, like, a dude that I thought was my friend started, um, like— sexually harassing me. Like, we I was talking to him on the phone and he started talking about having sex with me. 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 Oh this person, this God. jacket, this level of famous lesbian. That demon you hair. You know, like, and, and yeah, this demon hair and like <laughs> was literally like, like if you were all bisexual, I would totally like hop on that. Like, like, like started talking to me about masturbation. Like, and this was also somebody that was like in a little bit of a mentorship role with me. My point is what I did was ended the phone call, talked to some folks about it to get some support, um, I didn't say anything to him in the moment because I was so – this hasn't happened to me in such a long time. Um, But I ended the phone call, got some support from friends, and then ended up texting this person like, we are done. We're not – I don't want to know you anymore. And then like blocked their phone number. Um, So I'm not going to hear from this person again and they know why. And there was a full boundary drawn. But like I look at that and I go – where does this person's confusion come from? And I really think that, like, you and I— God, does it come from me? No, this is what I was just going to say. You and I are so consumed with patrolling each other, like, within the queer community. We're so consumed with patrolling each other that, like, this person had had no indication that I might be interested in him. Like, literally, I had given him zero indication that we might have had, like, some sort of sexual— thing going on between the two of us. But I think you and I are so concerned about patrolling each other. The queer community is so concerned about patrolling itself that like really all of the education and responsibility is on his end. Like float the question like a normal fucking person. Don't just bring up Mm -hmm. your like Mm -hmm. fact that you would like to like actually ask me out on a date.
1: You know what I mean? Like, like, don't just hurl your desire at me.
0: Be a normal human. And um, so I think it really is about like. You know these effects in our own community all stem from the same root, which is like men aren't aren't taught to specifically ask. It has to be it has to be literally a game or like a trip, a trick or a tr- or trap, you know. And trick women or trap. The word exactly. Women aren't taught to. Um, set boundaries there's always a threat of sexual violence in the background none of us have sex ed and so therefore what that creates down the line is me yelling at a bisexual woman you know what I mean like that's like (laughs) you know what I mean and I've never done that but I just mean like the results aren't like that this guy feels the fallout you know it's like that we scream at each other that fucking sucks that that shouldn't be that's not where the patrolling needs to happen you aren't hurting me (laughs)
1: Wow, that's so interesting to think about. And, like, I agree that it would be a form of tragedy, not to be melodramatic, if, like, I couldn't embrace lesbianism, lesbianism anymore because I was too confused about confusing the men. Like, that
0: would be truly tragic. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's really where it is, you know? Um I mean, why the fuck do I get to decide wow. what words you use? Why do I get to decide why, what any words anybody uses? Just stay in my own lane. The only reason, the only answer, why do I get to decide that is for my own protection. And so it's actually that has nothing to do with you because you are not the threat. <laughs> and I and I, I feel this on a level with you,
1: too, because you're a memoirist now. You've got your book coming out. And it's like, as a memoirist, it's, it's very... It's it's a dangerous thing to be. It's like it's almost like elevated gossip. It's basically just like, "Here's, I'm dishing the dirt. Here's <laughs> who was there. Here's what I saw." <laughs> and they know what they did. Like it's 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 very gossipy, but also like you feel a lot of responsibility for the other people that you talk about, but essentially your only job is to process your own shit as honestly and as kindly as possible.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. Yes, tell me more about that because I absolutely had to sort of uh, reckon with that. I'm still thinking about that, you know, because the book hasn't come out yet. Like, it comes out in March. Mm. It's currently, I mean, I don't know when we'll release this episode, but it's like mid-October. So that's a lot of time for me to wonder about (laughs) who's going to be mad at me and for what. Um, Like, how did you deal with that? I I had
1: tremendous amounts of anxiety with writing Honor Girl. I wrote it when I was, I started writing it when I was 28. I was out of touch with everyone in the book and I made a conscious decision to stay out of touch. Uh, And I was just like, I'm going to tell my truth as I recall it. I'm going to try and be as honest, even to the, you know, quote unquote villains of the story. I'm going to be, I'm going to try and have as much empathy towards their point of view as possible while still staying in my lane and saying how it felt to be me. And I just had to allow myself to not care what anyone else thought. I am allowed to tell my story. And if anyone wants to tell their own story, they can do it. If anyone wants to tell their version of the story where actually I was like a tremendous brat and an asshole, like, go for it. I really want to empower everybody to do that. Um, But it it takes a tremendous amount of... uh, self-centeredness to just say I can't care about everyone else's story I'm not here to tell anyone
0: else anyone's story but mine well I mean it's it's okay I mean maybe you could read it as self-centeredness but I also think that it's the most it's the only thing you actually know yes I mean yeah I guess you could like check with people and be like here's this that and this um that's just going to drive you insane Well, and it also and it's going to detract from your own. It creates a group experience thing, right? Yes. And so, actually, there is no group experience because we're always only in our individual experience, impacted by culture and impacted by other people.
1: Oh my gosh, I love that you just said that there is
0: no group experience.
1: Yeah, which is why you have to stay so close.
0: Yeah, but it is. You know, it's so interesting that you brought this up. Just. Over the weekend or something, I can't remember when I got this very, very recently, Um, I got an email from somebody that had gone to my college and said um, and sent me sent an email through like channels. So like anyway, I just get forwarded this email and it's um, it's about the college that we went to and this person said that they were older than me. Um, like we wouldn't have been there at the same time. And they said that they felt that they could have that they could come out there. And so they thought that my saying that undergraduates couldn't come out was misrepresentative. Oh, I, had
1: this, I had the same experience where someone from my camp, contacted me and said i was gay at camp the whole time and it was easy why did you make it seem so hard
0: and i was oh my like god that is so interesting yeah and it's well, like i was we thinking had different experiences girl uh, yeah it, well i was thinking a lot about it i mean first of all i will say it was officially not school policy it was officially not school poli- uh queer folks were specifically not written into the non-discrimination policy and this wow. person was enough older than me that they might not have been there. When I was a student there, it was something we were fighting to get put in, and the university refused. So it's that moment right before – they actually put it in in 2005, so that was, which was the year after I graduated. So it was that moment right before it gets in where it's mm. everybody's talking about it. So maybe it wasn't a topic of conversation when they were a student there. And also, you know um, – Again, this is like, I think that as queer people, this is something that we expect of each other is if one experience wasn't hard for us, then I think we default to um, the straight perspective, which is that we should minimize our pain. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. our culture doesn't actually want us to talk about the things that are hard. Like it really doesn't. Never wants Mm-mm. that for marginalized people. And so it makes sense to me. And I'm I'm saying this because I, I know this person is even a listener to this show, and I appreciated hearing about their experience. It was not my experience. You know, I w- that was a very dark time in my life. And, and you th-
1: you weren't being melodramatic. You weren't just like. Being an emo, you know, that you were having a legitimate experience.
0: Well, I think I think that like that is what a good word, because I I find that in my own life, I don't know when I've been melodramatic. And where is that coming from? Like, is that, you know, that's not, I'm actually not, like, I'm a pretty controlled person. I don't usually um, scream and, you know, throw fits in public kind of a person, you know, and by the way. And you have a
1: sense of humor about things. I have a sense of humor about
0: things. Um, I just, I look at uh, our own community and I wonder how often when we say to each other, like, get over that or that wasn't what it was like for me. I wonder how much that is us wanting to follow the traditional narrative that things are okay for us. You oh, know? yes, that we're okay. We're That's okay. We're we got through asserting. it. We're okay. It wasn't mm-hmm. that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was bad. I was I this it is, was really bad. My experience was really bad. What was your experience like? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's interesting cuz I, you know, my I have a sibling who came out recently as trans and I'm finding it That I don't know how to be an ally. Mm. And I'm having to kind of learn allyship, even though I am a gay woman, because growing up, I had very little support system. When I got to Atlanta, I just had to believe in myself. I, you know, I was completely on my own. I had no one to talk to. I had no gay role models. And I kind of became like the Ayn Randian version of myself to power (laughs) through high school (laughs) and life. You know, no one's going to save you. You have to save yourself. And so now I'm finding that with my sister, I don't really know how to help her because no one ever helped me. So no one ever modeled like what allyship, what, what truly compassionate, wonderful allyship is. So I keep finding myself telling her like, have fun with that. Bye.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like
1: I don't. I don't want to be that person. I. I don't want her to be as alone in her queerness as I was. But I'm having to learn, you know, as an adult out gay person, how to lift others up.
0: You know, the thing that strikes me as I have done some of. You know, I haven't had this exact experience, but I have had experiences like it. I've had, you know, partners come out as non-binary or trans or, you know, just, or even just being a white person in culture, in our culture. And I find that for me, or when people talk to me because I've been out, I've been like open about the fact that I'm a survivor of sexual assault, so that's something people tell me a lot. And I just find that for me what I have learned is like just assume that this is true, what this person is saying and say, like, I'm so sorry. And, Mm -hmm. and I find that, like, that is the thing that I um, haven't always gotten that really feels impactful when I do get it. Mm. Like, a, like just a full stop thing that doesn't come with advice. Um,
1: yes. Or doesn't ah, that's come what with— I, I need to stop giving advice.
0: Yes. <laughs> or doesn't come—like, advice. Here are the things that I have found less helpful. And this is just me. <laughs> like, advice, anger on my behalf— Like people being like, yeah, they are the worst. And, and then like just escalating or whatever about, you know, anything. Um, So anger on my behalf, advice. um, Because anger on my behalf takes it away from me. Then I don't get to be angry. Somebody else is mad. Um, And then the other one is uh, like changing the subject because of discomfort. And so by that, Mm. I mean like people being like, I don't know. Like I went through, I was, I've been talking about this a little bit lately. I can't remember if I've talked about it on this on the podcast, like going through a divorce is really brutal, brutal. I was, you know, I was sad about it for like a year, you know, I'm like still sad about it. And when I talk to my parents sometimes or my family, sometimes they'll be like, they'll be like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm a little sad. And they'll be like, what's going, is something going on? And I'm like, it's, um, it's the divorce. <laughs> it's that same thing. It's the, that. <laughs> But it's just like Yeah, I don't know. So oh, what anyway, happened? my my point is, um I have just I yeah, I'm that's what I'm trying by the way, I'm not nailing this. It's not like certainly there are times in my life I'm not nailing this, but but intellectually, um, that is what I notice and I'm trying to do it practically, which is just be like, just I'm so sorry.
1: Those are really excellent ally pro tips. Just I hear you, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And listening and not changing the subject. God, those are good pro
0: tips. I don't know. That's what I'm finding is helpful when people do that for me. You know, and then I'm just like, oh, I shall notice the things that's, that I like and try to mm-hmm. put those things back out in the world.
1: And that's that's what I would have wanted as a 15-year-old. Because I, you know, I'm pretty gossipy. It's hard for me to keep a secret. So, you know, when I realized I was gay at summer camp. I came home and told like 15 people. I didn't keep it a secret. <sighs> and all those people just kind of were like cool and then never brought it up again.
0: Oh, that and is I just tough. like
1: yeah, so it was like I kind of went back into the closet just by default because no one would see that I had come out. And it was it was just this passive aggressive wall and I, yeah, I don't want to do
0: that to anybody. Oh, that is tough. You know, I think that that is that kind of that falls under the category of I mean, I don't know in this situation, but when that has happened to me, the thing you're talking about, it has usually fallen under the uh, under the like category of um, how we deal with things as a culture, as a society (laughs) is um, when it seems like a really big thing, then we talk about that the least. So you know like 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 uh we like like what are the really big ones okay uh squash those ones like we'll just like talk about skip, anything skip. else anything else <laughs> And that's very hard those are very hard circumstances to to live within.
1: I remember when I first started hearing the term visibility I was like, God that is it's that you feel that you a whole part of you is invisible or that people put these spectacles on where they own, they just, are not seeing it. And you learn to suppress it and you learn to feel like, well, if no one's even acknowledging that my queerness exists, it must not be important. So, I'll just
0: I just won't talk about it either. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think we've covered an enormous amount of ground. And yes, I want to know did. I <laughs> want to know what what are you in I don't even know. Maybe the answer... What are you working on right now? Do you have stuff going on right now?
1: Uh, I'm continuing my sort of memoir journey in webcomic form. Um, so I have a webcomic now called uh, curefordesire.com, and it's just... It's just more dishy, gossipy romance. It's <laughs> It's probably... <laughs> probably an ill-advised webcomic because i'm like using real names and it's about my relationship with a certain uh famous uh lesbian poet some people might be familiar with and so read it now before i start getting cease and desist letters from attorneys and have to take it down so
0: (laughs) (laughs) what about i don't know the answer to this do you have a are you, are you at the point in your life where you support yourself as an artist fully? I am. I am, yes. And how, when did you get to that point?
1: I got to that point when I wrote a pair of really juicy teen murder mysteries, which are fun reads. There are strange truth and strange lies. And uh, that's how I supported myself. Not through my earnest gay memoirs, but through <laughs> my juicy teen mysteries.
0: Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, I... I really appreciate you taking some time today. Um, and before I send you back into your life um, to go write whatever teen murder mysteries come up next, is it? Does a teen die? No, you don't have to tell me. Does a teen die? A teen. Um, a teen does die. Yes, <gasps> a teen does die. Mm-hmm. Salacious. Honestly, probably too scary for me. <laughs> But um before I send you back into your life, can I ask you to shout out a queero, which is like person, place, or thing, makes you feel like you can be who you are today?
1: Yes, I'm I'm really excited to shout out Savannah Ogborn. She is a um Atlanta-based photographer and artist. And every time I feel like queerness is becoming too kind of commercial and mainstream, and sort of like, you know, the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad commercial of gayness, <laughs> I remember oh my God. Savannah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. I forgot. <laughs> Hang on, just one tiny moment of silence because I forgot about. Wait, did Never I ever forget that, Can that I ask happens. you a question? She like so the that commercial because I think I blocked it out until you said she essentially <laughs> joins like a Black Lives Matter sort of a police. Yes, she solves police brutality she solves by police. But she By offers- emerging
1: from the Black Lives Matter protest to give a police officer a Pepsi, and then everyone claps. And does he have riot gear? Oh does yeah, the, and it's as I recall,
0: yes. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that that was that's my memory is that that is what it is. Thank yes, you. That continue, is what continue, please continue on this photography.
1: <laughs> so, and Savannah is out there just capturing the spirit of queerness. Her work is colorful and sarcastic and weird. And every time I start to feel like queerness is being co-opted by mainstream, I just like binge on her photographs and I just feel really better. Oh, that's really better. Yeah, you feel
0: really better. (laughs) (laughs) So Savannah Ogborn. Savannah Ogborn is not somebody that I'm familiar with, and I cannot wait to look up their work. That is, that sounds... That sounds like more of what, yeah, I needed in my life. So thank you for the recommendation. And thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Yeah, Maggie. Oh, thank you you for having
1: me. I feel feel like I've been like inducted into the gay pantheon and I could not be more honored.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Welcome in. Use the words you want. See you in the pantheon. Yeah. Yes. Cool. (laughs)